Alright. Hi, guys. Hi. Oh, yes, Cassie, sorry. Um, after service tonight, there is a fusion meeting. Um, same location, here. A little while after, just watch for Cassie and uh, follow that. Right, here's what I need. Who's a good catch out there? Ryan, you're a good catch. Go ahead and catch that. Um, Mike, you're a good catch. Go ahead and catch that. Zach, that should probably be good. Beautiful. All right, here's what I need you to do. Go ahead and pass that down the line, and I want you to take two of them. Okay, take two of them, and then what I want you to do, watch me real quick. See the glue sides? Take them and flip it like this and stick it together. So then the two glue sides are facing in, and the two outsides are facing out, and there's no stickiness on either side, and it's glued together on top and bottom. But no, 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 no. Not glue to glue. Glue to the un part like this. Glue to paper. So it looks like a square when you get done with it. Zach, come up here. Show them. Come here. All right. But, but, but. But, but. All right, look. Look what Zach's doing real quick, everyone. See what he's doing? No. <laughs> come here. He's close. All right. Tiffany, Tiffany. Tiffany gets the chance. Yes. Yes. Congratulations, Tiffany. You win the gold ring tonight. I let you try. It's okay. All of us have failures in life, okay? <laughs> All right. Oh, jeez. All right, let's move on. Here's what I want you to do. Before we do anything else, oh, oh, I almost forgot. Follow it up with everyone getting a pen, which is out in front of us. Everyone needs a pen. Everyone needs a pen. I almost forgot about that. Close. Everyone grab a pen. Everyone needs a pen. It's good. I need someone in the audience to tell me what it smells like in here right now. Nothing. Anyone else? What, is, what does it smell like right now? What? Pickles? All right, cool. That's all I needed. I just needed, I just needed one or two. That's cool. Someone out in the audience, tell me your favorite color. Wow, there's a, a large number of blue. All right, I only, I, only asked, I only asked you to say your color, not to fight with other people on what your favorite color is. Thank you, though. I appreciate, I appreciate, people won't fight for anything, but people will go to tooth and nail about what color is their favorite. That was amazing. I will kill you, it's blue. All right. Everyone's got a pen, everyone's got a piece of paper. Here's what I want you to do. On one side, one side only, I want you to write really quick, okay, on an average, how often do you talk with, hang out with, see, interact with friends? That could be like saying like once a week, every day, and then whatever that number is, whatever that base unit you do is, then you have to usually clarify how many times inside that base unit. Like if you said, I usually talk to my friends every day. Then what I want you to do is clarify is, like, if you say that, how often do you do? Like, are you one of those crazy people who text all your friends every single day? Then you'd say, like, I literally probably talk to my friends, like, 50 times a day. Like, tons. Like, we probably have at least, or like you could do by conversation. Like, say, like, we probably have at least three or four conversations. Or you could say, I talk all day to my friends. There's people who do that a lot nowadays. Um, but just try to just make a roundabout idea of it, okay? Write it down. It doesn't have to be perfect. You need to say, I don't know if this really completely represents it. It's okay. Write something down that would describe that. I'll give you one minute. Any basis. Like if it's, well, I mean like the smallest base unit is what you want to do. Like you wouldn't want to do a billion times. Write it down on your sheet of paper. Okay.
Your closest friends. Texting counts, communication in any way, phone calls, internet, whatever you use, um, whatever you use to communicate, write it down how often. Like, honestly, probably me, like, I communicate with friends on, on like, not each friend, but, I mean, I, com- I converse with friends on a daily basis, um, probably more than that. I mean, I, I usually probably at least get probably two or three different conversations. I'm with Mike all day long, so I talk to Mike, like, all day, so I guess I could say all day with that. Um, Okay, so you have something, and if you don't, just think about it and continue. I want to tell you um, a cool old story. There's this guy in the Bible named Jonah, and some of you guys know the story. Some of you guys know part of the story, and some of you guys know all the story because you were here when I taught a lesson on, on Jonah. Um, if you have time, grab the book and read it. It's a short, very short book in the Bible towards the back of the Old Testament. It is a really good book um, about this man named Jonah. Here's the story, Okay. God goes to him and says that he wants him to go to Nineveh, which is this crazy town that's sinning and is just a wreck. God says that he wants him to go there and he wants him to pronounce judgment on him, to go there and say, God is sick and tired of what you're doing. He's going to come and he's going to destroy this place if you don't change your mind. Jonah does not do what God says. Instead, he runs away from God, which I know is like a crazy thought. How can you run away from God? But he does. He goes in the opposite direction of his calling, towards Tarshish. He gets on a ship, gets on the ocean, sea, excuse me, not ocean, sea that's right there, and he goes to travel across it to get to Tarshish. So he's on it, and this crazy storm comes up, like crazy wild storm comes up. And all the people are realizing, in fact, something has to be wrong because this kind of storm doesn't just come out of nowhere. Like something's going on. Someone has angered whatever god they have. So they go around and they cast lots to determine who it is, and the lot falls on Jonah. And they said, what did you do? And he says, it is me. I'm the reason why this is coming. God's fighting against me because I didn't do what he wanted me to do. And now all of this has taken place. So basically, what are they going to do? Jonah says, if you want to stop the storm, pick me up and throw me overboard. And he says, the storm's going to cease because God will have me. So the guys say, you know, God, don't hold us responsible. They pick Jonah up, and they just huck him right over the side, throw him over there, and immediately the storm ceases because it was God's anger that was creating the storm. Immediately the storm ceases, and the guys are just amazed because obviously they realize the fact that God is real. And when they did this, they saw it. At this point, he gets thrown in the sea, and a huge fish comes up and swallows Jonah. Quite possibly it was a whale. People fight on that because it's in the Bible and it says fish. It's very possible back then people didn't know that a whale was a mammal. It probably looked like a fish. So they might, it might have been a whale. Who knows? But this big fish, whatever, swallows Jonah. But he doesn't die. He's, he's trapped. I mean, it's a huge stomach, whatever, like that. And he's inside this whale. And this is where we get to this, this really cool place, um, which is Jonah 2, 1 through 2. And you guys uh, don't actually have to turn there. I'm going to turn there. Oh, I forgot to bookmark that part. How stupid can I be? It's okay. It's not that far back in the Old Testament. 20. Once you get to little minor prophets. Joel, Amos, Jonah. All right. And in 2, 1 through 2, we get this picture. After all this has happened, it says, From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. 
He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. He issues this prayer from inside this huge fish. Now, does the story strike you in any way? Because when I read it, what happens to me is it kind of reminds me of my prayer life. It kind of reminds me of a lot of people's prayer lives. Um, when I think about it, you look at Jonah, who was called of, called of God to go do this, and it took all the way going through, running from God, getting caught in a storm, being thrown and left for dead, and then swallowed by a fish where he's probably going to get digested. And at this point, he calls out to God. That it takes this long to get to a point where he's finally willing to converse with God. When I think about that, I'm like, man, sometimes it feels like that in my own life, but it takes a long time of getting beat up before I finally take and turn to God and be like, hey, what's the deal? And actually converse with him. Maybe not, but it, it struck me. Maybe it strikes you too. Um, but it really shouldn't be the case. You see, Jonah issues this prayer, and prayer is really, really simple. All prayer is is a conversation with God, talking with God. That's really why I wanted to mention this tonight is because next week, we're going to spend a whole night focused on prayer and talking to God. And you've got to have just a, a baseline of, of what you're talking about before you do something. So, I mean, whether or not we've been in this game for a long time or whether or not this is day one, when you hear about prayer, it's cool because it's such an integral part of who we are. It's such an integral part of a relationship with God that even if you've been in it forever, there's some small things that you might need to pick up. Even just in doing this message when I wrote this, I looked at it and I realized there's some things in my own prayer life that I need to change. They don't match up right with this. I could do this better. And this, this is non-existent in my prayer life. And like realizing that in my own head. So I mean, think about it and actually put it to yourself. Don't just think this is a message for someone else because I'm a Christian. No, tonight is for you too as well. Um, why is it hard to pray? Why is it difficult for us? Why does it take all the way to being swallowed by a huge fish before we're ready to actually talk with God? What is it? I think one of, the, one of the biggest reasons why, especially maybe for people who haven't been in the game quite as long, is that they just don't know what to say. They don't know what to pray about. They don't know, what can I possibly say to God? You know what I mean? Like People are like, just pray about it. And they're like, what do I say to God? Well, just here's a thought with this, okay? You can praise God. You can tell him that he's awesome. You can give thanksgiving. Everything that you've had in your life, anything that God has given you, you can thank God for. You can take and you can just say, God, you're really cool. And you can just tell God how cool he is. You can confess your sins. You can come to God and say, I'm a failure in this location in my life. And you can confess those before God. You can ask for forgiveness of those sins. Come to a place where you're receiving from God in that. Um, you, can, you can ask for help for yourself and for others. A lot of us need help in our lives. A lot of areas in our lives we feel like we're stumbling. And a lot of us have friends who we know are stumbling, who are having a hard time in their life. Coming and interceding in that and saying that I'm going to God and asking that God will just do something in their lives. Being willing to do that. That's something that you can do in prayer. You can just take and you can come to God during prayer and just pour out who you are. You can come and sit down before God and you can just sit down and list out all of your fears, all of your aspirations in life, all of your shortcomings, everything that scares you, you can just sit down and you can just tell God of that. That's totally cool. Let it come out. You can sit and you can just yield in prayer. 
know what that means? Obviously, yielding, like street signs, means that when you come to a spot, you look and you let someone else go first. In your prayer time, you can just sit down and you can wait for God to say something to you. You can just be silent. You can just sit and wait. That's prayer right there. Being in God's presence, inviting God to be present with you, and then just sitting with him. That can be part of your prayer time. That can be prayer. And just being there. Speaking in tongues or prophesying, we see this in the Bible. The fact that when the Holy Spirit comes on people, they were filled with the Spirit and they would prophesy or speak in tongues because of the Holy Spirit speaking through them. That's an awesome way to pray. The Bible even talks about you can pray with groans. What does that mean? It means that you don't even have to utter words for God to feel and hear your prayers. What it means is that you can sit down with God and you can just have a good old-fashioned crying session. (laughs) You can sit down because all these problems are in your life. All these things are hard. And you can sit down with God. Instead of crying by yourself, you can sit down and just cry with God. And you can just be who you are. And God hears those prayers through your tears, through your groans, through the hard times when you just sit there. And he, you can just feel that, that feeling, that harsh feeling in your spirit where it just hurts. Invite God into that. And he hears those prayers deep down inside your heart. That's prayer. You see, what, I'm, what I mean is that you can pray about anything. You look at the broad spectrum of what that covers, of what that means. Man, there is a whole lot of praying in that, isn't there? Just in some of those, just in sitting down and telling God about me, you know, let's be honest, we're all pretty selfish here. You could sit down and tell God about you for a long time, couldn't you? And just tell God all about who you are and just actually get off your chest who you are. Because I know very few of us have ever told anybody all of who we are. But sit down with God and tell God all of who you are. I've heard a preacher, preacher say this before, and I actually really liked it, and I think it's true too. And he says, you speak to God whatever you're feeling at that moment. And he says, what I mean is this. He says, if there's someone in the crowd right now who doesn't know God, pray and tell God you don't know him. Speak to God and say, I do not know you. I don't even believe in you right now. Tell God that communicate with him. He says, if you're at a place where you're literally, maybe you had faith and you don't, and you are angry at God, sit down with God and tell him, you know what, I don't like you anymore. You make me angry. But he says, don't ever stop talking to God. He says, even if it's that, even if it's sitting down and saying, God, I don't even feel you anymore, I don't even know you anymore, you continue to talk to him because you keep that line of communication open. Whatever it is on your heart, you can speak it to God, and that is your prayer. Second, I think that people are afraid for a number of reasons. And, and think about this, um, or even just kind of put them as, as things in your mind. Why are we afraid of praying? Very often it's because we feel unworthy. When we think about prayer, I mean, we just watched like the thing on, with, with Louis Giglio, right? About how, who God is, and we read about this amazing God. It's kind of hard to say that we have a right to ask God for something, right? A lot of times maybe we feel like, man, I'm not worthy of this. How can I ask God for something? How can I come to him and expect to, to tell him something? How can I talk to him? But you are worthy. And really, by, by nothing else other than the fact of God's love, because God loves us enough to actually listen to us even though we're not, and because if you're a Christian, it says that Jesus Christ's blood covers us, and when we stand before God, he no longer sees those sins. We stand perfect in front of him, worthy of talking to God, even though he is perfect, because our sins have been washed away, and we stand perfect. You guys ever think about that? Like when you come to God, like a lot of times we spend a lot of time in our prayer confessing 
saying, God, you know, forgive me of this, forgive me of this. But do you realize that when, when you really have a relationship with Jesus Christ, for real, that when you come to speak to God, that because of that belief in Jesus Christ and knowing that you can stand before God without a heavy heart because of who you are, because you know that those sins are already covered by Jesus Christ's blood, and you can talk to God confidently, confidently because you know the fact that when he looks at you, he doesn't see that. He sees who you really are, which is a sinner saved by grace, by Jesus Christ. They see something perfect. I think second with fear is the fact that people don't think that God can accomplish what they're going to ask or what they're going to say. And people are scared to pray something because they don't want to see it not happen. You know what I mean? They're afraid to ask for something because they're afraid it's not going to happen. They're afraid that God isn't going to do it. Well, here's the deal. Like I said, you saw that video last week. Is God big enough to do it? Yeah. Wow. If you guys watched that video, if you haven't, like I said, see it, God is a very, very big God. When I watched that, that video of Louis Giglio, it was, what's amazing is how small it makes you feel. And then obviously when he brings it back around is how large it makes you feel in God's eyes. But I mean, of how big of a God we're talking about. We're not talking about some pansy God. I mean, we're talking about like the God of the Bible where, where we see people would come together. There, there's a part with, uh, yeah, I can never remember if it's Elijah or Elisha. I'll be completely honest with you. It, except for the fact I know that it was Elisha who called the mother bears to eat the little kids that were yelling at him, which is a really funny story. But I believe it's Elijah, if I remember right, has this competition at Mar- Mount Carmel. And what he does is all these people who believe in this other God, he takes and calls them out, and he says, you know what? If your God's so big, come here and prepare an altar, and you task your God. You ask your God to come and call down fire and burn it. And he says, you know what? I'll do the same thing. And they come, and they pray and pray and pray and pray. And he just, is, he's laughing at them because he realizes that their God has no power. Their God is a God of carved sticks and stones, that he has nothing. And he takes and he builds the altar and he lays it on there. But then because God is so darn cool and because he knows that, he takes and he says, now go get water and dump it all over what's supposed to burn. Drench it, sop it full of water. And he stops and with one prayer, he asks God to come and it ignites in fire and burns up. We serve an amazingly strong God. Not too weak to answer that prayer. Not too weak. The other thing, God doesn't always say yes with that. Just because God is big doesn't mean that anything you ask, he's going to say yes to. That's part of what we're talking about here. Um, God might say, wait. He might say no. But God is big enough to solve and to answer those prayers. He can accomplish anything. And maybe the fact a lot of times people are fearful because they don't think that even if God is big enough, he isn't willing to help me. That's a really common one, too. People say, God is big, but I don't think he cares. I don't think that he'll honestly do this. I have an awesome story for you guys. And if, if you ever deal with not feeling like God's going to actually like hear your prayers and do something about it, I want you to remember this or write it down because it's really good. It's in Luke 18, 1 through 8. This is what it says. Jesus is telling a story. And he says, There was once a judge in some city who never gave God a thought and cared nothing for people. 
A widow in that city kept after him. My rights are being violated. Protect me. But he never gave her the time of day. But after this went on and on, he said to himself, I care nothing what God thinks, even less what people think. Um, But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I'd better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. And it says, Jesus turns to him and says this, Do you hear what that judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think that God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you he will. He will not drag his feet. But how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find when he returns to the earth? What he's saying is a man who cares nothing of what God thinks, a man who cares nothing of people, after he is as time and time again realizes that he has to do something about it. God who loves us, he says, how much more is he going to answer because of that love, because of that faith? Seriously. So, people are afraid. We have to, we have to take, take get rid of that. But this isn't really actually the main reason why I'm even talking to you. Um, that's like kind of a, a brief overview, and I want you to catch that and think about that with prayer tonight. Um, but here's the deal. Often, we have an unaffected prayer life, even if we have some sort of prayer life. It doesn't feel powerful. It doesn't feel like we're moving. Um, it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere, even if we understand this, this basis. Even if we understand God's big enough, he's going to do it. A lot of times, though, our prayer life still seems pretty lame. Here's what I want you to do real quick, since I gave you those post-its. Flip the post-it note over, and what I want you to do is write real quickly, on the average, how often you talk to God. How often you meet with him, you speak with him, just like I did with your friends. Right on the other side, how often do I talk with God? How often do I really interact with him? Now, as we have this dual-sided yellow, yellow square that we can flip back and forth, um, I noticed in my own right away that my friends one was bigger than my God one. I talked to more friends more often than I talked to God, and I flipped it on the other side. Because I even looked at it and I thought, you know, I talk to God every day, but then I looked at it and said, how much do I talk to my friends every day and how much do I talk to God every day? Wow, I talk to God for like a few minutes maybe. If it's a really good day, maybe, you know, I spend some time actually chatting with him. But how much time do I spend talking to friends? Maybe some of you guys, you look at it and say, no, I spend a lot more time with God. It can mean two things. Either one, you don't have friends. (laughs) Start hanging out with more friends. There's great people here. Get closer to them. Um, Or two, um, that's good, but let's level up the comparison real quick, okay? How much time do we spend talking and getting to know friends compared to getting to know the God who saved our souls, who covered our sins, and, I mean, who took care of everything in our lives? 
when you put that comparison next to each other, it would seem that you'd want to spend a lot more time getting to know God, wouldn't you? Or how much time do we spend asking friends their opinion on stuff? What do you think about this shirt? Do you think I should, I should go, to, go back to school this, you know, this uh, fall? Do you want to go hang out tonight? There's all these different things about what do you feel? What do you think? But how often do we ask what God thinks? How often do we ask what God wants in a situation? What God wants to do? What does God feel about our life? What do they think about this relationship in our life? Do the comparison again. Another person who's just like us, failed, flawed, had a lot of probably mistakes in their life, or God, the creator of earth, the creator of the universe, who has ultimate knowledge. When you compare them once again, you realize the fact that obviously it would be a lot more heavily weighted towards God, shouldn't it? I mean, you're talking to like the originator of truth. The reality of the fact is, is that a lot of times they don't feel powerful, our relationship with God, because we really don't have much of one. We don't spend much time talking to God. And if we do pray to him, a lot of times our prayers are pretty darn weak. Pretty darn weak. I thought about this, and I thought about what's a, what's a description of our prayer life and, and just a picture of, man, how we mess this up so much. I thought of this. Very, very often, I think, we try to communicate with God like we communicate with friends nowadays. Here's what I mean. We have the texters. Texting's really cool. It's the new thing. SMS. So awesome. Did you guys know that texting was actually thought up in the 1980s? 1980s. It was by a firm uh, called GSM, and the man who they credit for being the very founder of the idea is named Maddie McConan. And guess how much he got paid for the very base of idea of SMS? $300. European, that is. 300 euros. Because he was just basically like a small designer inside of this. That's who they credit for, like, the very initial feeling. GSM in the UK took and turned that, and they worked on it a ton. And the very first text message was sent on the 3rd of December in 1992 from a computer to a mobile phone. And it read, Merry Christmas, the very first text ever sent. Very interesting, isn't it? By 1995, it launched in the UK. It spread like wildfire. The originators never thought that it would actually be used for consistent communication between people. They could never imagine that. And... As of December of 07, instead of 92, 48 million texts happened in the month of December in 07. 48 million. Crazy how much that's exploded. A very, very interesting way of communication. Probably the biggest communication of our modern world. Like, that's like the rage is texting. You see that radio stations now are taking requests by text? Such a cool idea. I actually was like, that's really smart. Um, but we communicate through text all the time. It's communication of really our new generation. It's secretive. It's like being a spy. You can send a message. No one knows. It's very useful. It's short and to the point, though. Very, very often we use these crazy little condensed, condensed words, like using two instead of two, or you instead of you. Or we use these crazy combinations of letters to form out words because they're text and they're supposed to be short and fast. Very, very often, though, they're vague. 
they don't spell out the whole picture. And very often as well, they are low on personality. Very low on personality. All we basically have is exclamation points in all caps. That's basically your two, your two venues of really showing excitement when you're texting. Um, smiley faces. Smiley faces. Okay. I, never, I've never, I have never done a smiley face, and I doubt I ever will. They sicken me. But anyways, um, they're low on personality. They're a fast means of communication. A lot of times they take very little effort. You know what I mean? Like we'll just like send a thing like, hey, how are you doing? Someone will be like, doing good. And you're like, cool. Wow, that was a great conversation. It was like spellbinding to be able to do that. Um, the reality of the fact is that people try to text God. People try to text God with their prayers. They try to use a very, very short, very, very vague, and with very little emotion. And that's how their prayer life is with God. One or two quick sentences. God, uh, why don't you help me with this test? That's my prayer for the day. It's short, sweet, to the point. And they just fire it off. And just like a text, you just shoot it off. And I mean, like as soon as the text leaves, like you don't even think of it. Like it's, it's nothing. And that's how people pray to God. Is it no wonder that obviously their prayer life is not that amazing? Even if you had a relationship with a friend and all you did was text. I mean, probably people do. I shouldn't say it because I probably hurt someone's feelings. But it's It's true. Is a relationship going to get that deep? Seriously, like texting. And pe- people try to communicate with God in that mean. Texting prayers, and it doesn't work. People try to use the phone, okay? The phone is an amazing invention. It is like, that's like the communication of the last era, the telephone. Um, although I was thinking about it when I was thinking about the telephone. Can you imagine the first time someone got to use a telephone? Like, that's amazing, to be able to connect and hear someone who you love, hear their voice on the other end. That's pretty awesome. The telephone, of course, was created by Alexander Graham Bell. If you guys, um, probably growing up in, in science class, they probably taught you about Alexander Graham Bell. Um, probably most of you guys don't know that a guy named Elisha Gray created the telephone at the exact same time. They finished literally at the same month, same time, and they both went to the patent office only hours apart, but Graham Bell got there first and got the patent for the telephone. Isn't it amazing? Hours separated who we learned as being the creator and who probably got a ton. I'm sure Alexander Graham Bell got a lot of money and a lot of fame because of that. Um, literally only hours apart. Um, made in the 1870s because it was a basis off a of telegraph. Does anyone know what the very first transmission on the telephone was? What is it? Yes, it's Mr. Watson, come here, I want to see you, who is in another room. He sent it across telephone. The very first communication on, on telephone. Man, it's awesome. Phones can connect us across great distances, and it's amazing to hear someone's voice, isn't it? I mean, like, that's like comfort sometimes, to be able to hear someone who you love. Like, I, I love, like, at times when I'm away from my mom, it's really cool to be able to call, like, someone you love like that and just hear their voice. Like, there's a connection there. You feel something, right? It's more personal. Um you can actually get someone's feelings on the phone a little bit more. You know what I mean? Like text, like all caps, exclamation points. But you can hear someone's voice begin to race. You can hear their voice race. You can tell if they're mad at you very easily. I've had a lot of mad phone calls. And you can tell that. It's in their voice. Um, Here's the deal, though. Phone calls can be very false. How many times have you seen your mom, your friend, or you angry, super mad, and they pick up the phone, they're like, oh, hello, super happy, right? In fact, 
they can be talking on the phone, being really super nice to someone, and then be like, oh, I know. And be able to, like, they're completely not at all. Did you guys actually see what I said? I said I hate her? Yeah. But, like, people do that all the time. How many times do you, like, you'll see somebody and their inflection is completely fake. It is false. The way they put, tone they put with it, how they act like they're happy to talk to the person, even though literally, like, how many times does it see is like, look at the thing and they're like, ah, oh, ah. Like, I'm so happy to talk to you. People are such liars. They use false inflection to be able to create this. And that's the thing, is even on a telephone, you can hide who you really are. You can put on a false front. You can talk across that. Man, not only that, but nowadays with cell phones, when's the last time you actually saw someone take a phone call? People don't take a phone call anymore. They talk on the phone while they're doing everything else. You know what I mean? I mean, like, when does anyone actually stop and, like, take a phone call? People are on the phone, driving, on the phone, doing their makeup, on the phone, going to the bathroom, on their phone, whatever they're doing. They don't stop their life anymore with, like, cell phones. People don't stop their life at all when they get a, when they get a uh, you know, a call. In fact, now we got, like, the crazy Bluetooth headsets so we can put it on, and you don't even have to, like hold a phone to your head. You just take and tap your headset, and then you can talk to someone. You look like you're crazy walking around the street talking to yourself. But you see, the thing is, is it's become, even more now with the telephone, very, very non-focused, very, very open. Like I said, people do all this different stuff while they're there. In fact, they're not even present in the phone call and what I hate about people on the phone is that they're not present in the phone call and they're not present in the world around them. You'll stumble over them. They'll take and stop. Like when you're walking down like in a group of people, they'll just stop because they said something to someone and people like slam into the back of them. They're not present in the real world or present in the phone call because they're in both. This is what it can be like with our prayer life. We try to phone, have a phone conversation with God. And very often people will come and they will put false inflection in their voice and they will say pretty words to God, but in their heart they do not mean that. In fact, in their heart, like I just said, they might be like, God, I really don't care for you. I'm mad at you right now. (laughs) But they come and they pray and they're like, God, I thank you for this day. This is the day the Lord has made. (laughs) They're like all happy, you know. But it's BS. The way they talk to God, the things they say, how they act like they're happy with God, it's not. Maybe even, like, the, the process that they take, whatever they say, like, it's false. And not only that, but, man, especially that second half of what phones become today, how many people actually spend any time focusing God? People pray amidst everything else. Like, our only, our only prayer time is, like, you know, while we're, while we're showering, while we're driving our car, while we're doing this. A lot of times it's actually in the midst of even crazier stuff, too. Like, we're having conversations with people and, like, thinking, like, like prayers, like people will be like, oh, can you pray for me? And you're like, God, I pray for you. And then you're like, yeah, I'll pray for you. Not a liar anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> but we don't give that, that real dedication to it. The stopping and saying, no, I'm actually going to take this and focus on God. People don't do it. Like I said, no wonder why it doesn't feel present, like the, like the conversation doesn't feel great. Perhaps I think one of the coolest inventions ever Email. Oh, dude, email. Crazy. Invented by Ray Tomlinson in 1971. Ray Tomlinson was 
in the whole like big when they first created the internet and there was all the connectivity of of the major like universities and these big supercomputers that took up a whole room all this crazy stuff he was on those and what he realized was he said you know people can send messages to the own computer like you can put in information that can be read to this computer why can't i send it across a network to another computer guess how long it took ray tomlinson to create the email he said six to eight hours over the span of one week. It was just something he did in between class. He's like, I think I could do it. He's just like, he's like, it was an idea just for a hack. He's like, it was just a thought. He's like, so I spent maybe like half an hour here, 45 minutes there, an hour like late at night, and it was maybe like six to eight hours over one week. And he says, and I created email. The very first email. And we said, the problem is, he says, when I, when I created it, he's like, I didn't think it would be anything. He says, because there's like, how many, there's a handful of computers. He says, there's like, you know, an email is only as good as the clientele that can receive it. He says, there was no market for it. He says, I never thought about the fact that it could be sent overseas. I never thought about the fact that it could take and connect people because people can't always answer the phone and that mail could wait. He says, and we didn't think about the fact of how, you know, like conversations could be so much faster than snail mail. He totally didn't think about it at all. He created over six to eight hours, which I love. One thing that I think is really cool is they said, it's quite possible that our grandkids will go to school and learn about Ray Tomlinson right alongside Alexander Graham Bell. They said, although it took him six to eight hours, it's revolutionized just as much as the telephone has. It's crazy how much has changed in communication. Really interesting to think that maybe our grandkids are going to be sitting in school and they're going to say, who is the guy who created email? And Ray Tomlinson. <laughs> but emails are really, really cool. Man, I use them constantly now. With, with new job I took, just took on and all this different stuff where you have to have lots of communication. Man, emails are beautiful. I thank God. Seriously, if I met Ray Tomlinson, I would shake his hand and probably kiss it because... Seriously, if you had to make, think about it in your own life, I don't know how many of you guys are, like, obviously I'm doing a lot of communication this time, but if you had to make a phone call or write a letter for each one of those, oh, man, I'd never get done what I have to get done. Never. I'd be here, you know, writing letters for, like, hours and hours, and it would take so long, we'd never get anywhere. Here's the deal. Emails are effective. They're fast. Business loves emails. Like, that is the language of business, is email electronic communication where you can write stuff out. It can be info-rich. It can contain tons of information in one email. Um, it can be very laid out. The communication can be complete from top to bottom. Unlike a text where you're sending just a short message, it can contain all of the words that describe what's going on. It can contain detail. It can tell a story. It can paint a picture with words. They can be much longer. They can contain you know, blueprints for stuff written out, which is, which is awesome. That's why it's so, so useful. But there's still a lack of communication in the emotional realm. Emails are still really cold. They don't feel warm. They're just words on a page, and it's only up to the interpretation of the other person to read it and to get what you said. The other thing I thought about emails is, man, they are really safe, aren't they? People have communications on over online emails that they would never have in real life because like people will be emailing somebody like I don't know across the state and like it's someone like you totally wouldn't like stop and talk to them on the street. Like, oh, I'm just talking to this 55 year old 
you know, murderer, East Coast, and he's a nice guy, though. We just talk on email. And, like, people honestly would probably be like, oh, that's nice. Like, this email, like, it's safe. It's, you're, you're distant. You could use some fake cover name or whatever like that. There's that disconnection because of electronics. People lay out their prayers like emails. What I mean is this, is that people might put all the information in there. They might say all of the words that come with what they're feeling, everything that they need. They might sit down and remember that list I gave you of all the different things prayer can be? And they might sit down and just go point for point and sit there for hours in prayer to God. But like I said, it can be really cold. It can lack real emotion behind it. There's people who pray like that too. I found myself praying like that before. Very, very cold. Not actually feeling what I'm saying, but just praying like I've had prayer requests before in my life that I've prayed for on a daily basis. And when I say them, I realize that I'm not even really praying for them. I'm just saying the words. God, I pray to you for this. But I didn't mean it because it was just another thing I said because I knew I was supposed to put it in my prayer list. See, it can be cold like that. God didn't ask for us to text him, to phone him, or to email him. That was never his intention. God is a true friend, a real friend. It says that he knew us before we were even born. We can take that from Jeremiah where he talks about the prophet and says that he saw him in the womb and knew the plans he had for him. God says the same for us. He knows us before we're born and knows what our life is going to be like. That's really, really close. That's closer than any of my friends. My friends know me and know about me, but they don't know that much about me. Absolutely not. God doesn't want to be talked to in text, phone, or email. It's no wonder when you look at it there's shortcomings in these forms of communication. There's shortcomings in our prayer. This is how we pray to God. Instead of texting, calling, or emailing, we need to sit down for a face-to-face. That's what God asks for in our prayers. A face-to-face. Have you ever heard that term? A face-to-face. It's a communication where you're sitting right there with the person. A.K.A. face-to-face. Yes. Face-to-face communication, there is no limit to how many words can be used. There is no limit to what you can say. There's no limit to what body language you can put behind things. There's a lot of times we say stuff, but our body language says something different. There's no limit to what you can impart by your eyes, by your hands, by your smile, by when we communicate face-to-face, there's so much that we can communicate without even using words. Not only that, but unlike emails, you are vulnerable in a face-to-face conversation. There's no lag time. There's no internet in between you. A person can reach out and smack you if you say the wrong thing. It is a vulnerable conversation. Me and the person right there. Often, when we pray, we feel like there's this gap. I found it in my own prayers, and I'm sure that you found it too. That when you pray to God, you feel like there's this large chasm between your mouth and his ear. Or like Louis Giglio who told you about this amazing star, that God's sitting way out behind those stars somewhere off in the distance. And it takes years and years and years for light to travel that far. My prayer feels like it's never going to reach God. I felt that way before. Have you guys? You ever felt like when you say a prayer, like you feel like, ah, it just doesn't even feel like it's going to get to him. Here's the reality. We're not sending a message out into space. But instead, we're having a face-to-face. There's this part in Deuteronomy, and um, 
Israel is talking. And I love this. It says in Deuteronomy 4, 7, it says, What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? Israel's talking about our God, the same God back then as today. And he says, What other nation is so blessed that when they pray to God, he is present with them? There is power inside of that verse. Do you think about that? That when you pray to God, they say he is present, present with us. What does that mean? God is omnipresent. It means he can be anywhere. But what it means is the fact is that when I say a prayer to God, literally, literally, God's presence is here. That when you say a prayer to God, wherever it may be, in your car, in your bed, sitting here right now, if you pray to God, his presence is here, right beside you listening. That he's not across space, that he isn't through a phone cable, he isn't through internet or through the airwaves and texting, but that when you pray to God, he is sitting right next to you in your presence. That's the physical ramification of what it's saying here. What this means is that we don't need to talk to him like these waves I just talked about. We need to talk to him like a real friend. If your real friend was sitting next to you, you wouldn't settle for what an email can communicate or trying to talk through text, short little quips back and forth. If your best friend's sitting right next to you, you'd have a face-to-face, and you'd be able to really express who you are with that person and really understand them. Talking to him like a real friend, and this is the reality, that when you pray, you be honest and you be real, and you realize that he is right here. There's no specialty to it. And not to take anything away from prayer, but it's not like you have to have some, some specially laid out, you know, prayer journal of what you have to say. Um, I love Matthew 6, 7. says this, is, When you pray, do not keep babbling on like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. I love that. He says, you know, just because you put a bunch of words behind it and you sound good, just because you make an act out of it and you put so many descriptive, beautiful words with it, do you think that's going to make God catch attention? No, what's going to really make God catch attention to your prayers is when you address him like a friend sitting right next to you because that's how he wants to be talked to. He's sitting right here and it's when you say, God, you know, I really just, I, I pray that you would be with me today. I pray that you'd help me because right now I'm not doing so well. And you talk just like that to a friend. That's what he wants from us. He wants that real face-to-face communication. There was another guy in the Bible. There's a lot of guys in the Bible. But another guy in the Bible I want to tell you about. His name was Moses. And a lot of you guys have heard about Moses. I heard a preacher say once, if anyone asks you about anything in the Old Testament, say Moses. And if it's not Moses, say Noah. But (laughs) then you pretty much got it covered. I tell you to read the book of Moses, but there isn't one. So if you want to read about Moses, you have to read some of the old, school, uh, the old school books in the Bible. Everything up to basically Joshua will give you a good representation of, uh, of the story that leads up to and, and plays out with Moses. Um, Moses had an amazing story. He was taken, born during a time when the king was told that there was going to be this, this man who was going to come, this, this man of God who was going to take and, and, and change Israel. And what he did is he decided to kill all the babies all the boys in a certain time frame because he realized that he would be inside of him because his prophet told him. 
His parents took and put him in a basket and floated him down the river, and it just so happened that God was guiding that basket that day to fall into the lap of, if I remember correctly, it was like Pharaoh's daughter or something like that, whatever it was. It was a relation to the Pharaoh. And she picked him up and then took him into their house. And Moses, this man who the Pharaoh was trying to kill, was then brought face to face with him and raised inside of his house, eating his food, living off of everything that he was well. God directed all this. As he gets older, and I mean, if you're raised underneath the Pharaoh, obviously Moses was well-educated, well-taken care of, well-looked after. He gets older, and, and God talks to him about, um, you know, all this different stuff. He, it says that he has a relationship with God, if I remember right, even though he's with, with Pharaoh, and I'm sure Pharaoh didn't have a real relationship with God, but he had some, somewhat of a knowledge of it. He kills a man, runs off in the desert to hide, and there God finds him. And the story of the burning bush, if you've ever heard that, he looks for a lost sheep, finds this bush that's being burned but is yet not consumed, and it is God's presence, and it tells him to go back and to lead the country of Israel, the people of Israel, out of Egypt into a promised land that he had for him. The crazy calling. And if you read the story, it gets ten times crazier. Plagues, insane stuff that God takes and sends into that nation to make Pharaoh realize the fact that God's real. I mean, in crazy stuff God puts out there. Amazing story. Moses leads the people out of Egypt after a long, crazy trial, takes them out into the desert, going towards the promised land. And Moses meets with God on top of mountaintops and inside the tabernacle. But what's really cool about it is it says this in Exodus 33, uh, 7 through 11. It says, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away. This is after the whole mountaintop things, but this is when he has the presence of God in the tent. Calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. Check this out. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke to Moses. It says, Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of his own tent. And it says this in 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. That's amazing. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man would speak to his friend. God's presence isn't going to come here, and you're not going to be able to stare into his eyes. Moses didn't get to either. He didn't get to actually look into God's face. But he was that close to God's presence, face to face with him. That's what God wants for us today. Moses went into the part, place called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place where God's Spirit would come. When Jesus Christ died, the gate, the curtain that hid that, separated, and the whole world became that most holy of holies. That means that when I pray, just like when Moses prayed, God talks to me face to face as a man talks to his friend. I talk to God face to face as a man talks to his friend. When you think about that, it kind of changes how you pray a little bit, doesn't it? It kind of stops me and thinks about how I pray and then how I should pray. And that's what I was really hoping is that tonight, I mean, I learned something from this. I hope you are too. Next week, we're going to spend an hour praying to God. Why would we let that feeling of fear or that feeling that God's distant or using 
methods of communication that God doesn't even want, why would we waste time? But instead, if next week and if in our whole lives, we get the reality that when I say God, he is in presence with me, and that when I talk to him, I'm speaking to him face to face as a friend, how much more effective, how much more amazing, how much more powerful are our prayers going to be? God's going to love it because we're not using all these jacked up means of communication, but we're speaking to him like a friend, which is what he wants. He loves us and he wants us to talk that way. When you're talking face to face, it's real. And I don't know about you guys, but I want my relationship with God to be as real as possible. I don't want anything in between it. I don't need the internet or a phone line or anything like that. I want to be as close to God as I possibly can be. And that's how I'm going to pray to him. Next week we have prayer, and I want you guys to focus on it. Even this week, leading up to next week, in your prayer time, stop and consider this before you pray. That when you do, you're not speaking to some distant God, but you're speaking to a God right next to you. And cast aside all those things that we talked about at the, at, at the, at the onset. That you know what prayer can be. I told you all those different things that prayer can be. And those fears are just going to disappear because you realize who God really is. And you speak to him like that. I want to pray with you guys. I thank you, God. I thank you, God, so much that you are a present God. I thank you of this promise that you give in the Bible that even now as, as I'm speaking to you, that I'm not sending off a message into some distant area, but instead, God, that you are standing right next to me tonight. And as I speak, I'm just talking like a friend because I love you and you love me, and that's how we speak. We're not going to, um, going to, to use these, these messed up ways that we found of communication where we take parts away from our talk to you, but instead we're going to talk to you just real, face to face. I pray that you just change our hearts in this and change our minds because we get stuck in old ruts. Man, we get caught up in, in things that have been on top of us and it's hard to get rid of them. Even as we pray, we're going to go back into those old things and you would just tap us on the shoulder since you're, you're there with us and say, hey, I'm right here. You don't have to pray like that anymore. And just remind us of that. And I know, I know God because I know you that more amazing things are going to happen when we start actually inviting you and talking to you in this way. I thank you, God, so much for what you're going to accomplish because of, uh, because of these prayers. I thank you so much for what you're going to do on IVU this next year. I just thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts. And it's in your name that I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.